Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Well, hi, everybody. Good to see you today. I'm so thankful that you've joined us. Well, um, you know, lately I've just been very thankful. I've just continued to hear a lot of stories about the way God is moving in people's lives. We just believe that when you make room for God, uh, God will move. And, and so, you know, we are a church that likes to make room for God. And so even this morning, why don't you just look at your neighbor and say, make room, will you? Make room, will you? Right? All right. Well, the Word of God is good, and I'm excited to read it and teach it today. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We are in week number 14 of our series, the book of Luke, Miracles Everywhere. Everyone say miracles everywhere. Miracles. Well, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus performs a miracle. He actually heals a guy on the Sabbath. People are not happy about it. Creates all sort of disruption, creates all sort of controversy. And you get to Luke chapter 15, kind of on the heels of that, out of the fray of that miracle, and there's a collection of three parables Jesus told in response to a group of snobby religious leaders who were upset about him healing on the Sabbath, but also they were upset that Jesus continues to hang out with who, who people that are called sinners, people who are not righteous in their eyes. And so Jesus follows up these complaints with these three parables that are all about the same theme. They're about losing something. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and of the lost son. Jesus is like, listen, when things are lost, don't you want to find them? This is what he's saying. He says, like, if, he uses the sheep for an example. He says, if there is a a sheep that goes astray, a, a sheep that gets lost. Doesn't the shepherd leave 99 to go after the one? Doesn't that make sense to go and find the lost sheep? He says, what about if you lose some money? Like imagine losing a lot of money. You get stressed out, you're turning the house over, and then you finally find that money after days of searching, and it's in those jeans that you haven't worn in a while, stuffed in the pocket. You find it, what do you do? You're like, yo, I got to tell my friend, like that money that I've been looking for, I found it. And so you call your friends, you celebrate because you celebrate when things that have been lost have been found. And so Jesus says, that's why I hang out with people who you call sinners, because I want all who are lost to be found. I want to celebrate even when one lost sheep is found. Jesus is saying, listen, you guys think it's me that doesn't get it. It's actually you who don't get it. This is what he's telling these religious leaders. You don't care about people who are lost and who are wandering and who are alone. So let me ask you as we get rolling this morning, how many of you are thankful that Jesus goes and looks for the lost? How many of you are thankful that Jesus came and looked for you? Amen? Then, then, after he says those two parables, he gets to this other parable, the third parable, the parable of the lost son. Now, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I, I, I talked about how Jesus sometimes gave difficult teachings in order to thin the crowds down. He wanted to see who was serious because Jesus wasn't interested in getting a bunch of fans. He wanted people who were followers, right? And so he was always teaching challenging things to people, and he used parables oftentimes to do this. 
parables on one. If you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever read specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, you've run into parables. You've seen these before. But they are stories that are often seen as this relevant sort of relatable way of teaching, which is true. But oftentimes they're actually very difficult to understand. And always, they were always challenging to a way of life, the way that people typically live. Jesus would often say, you may have heard it said, but I say... And these parables are another way of teaching that way. He's like, you may have thought it would be this way, but I'm going to tell you another way. And in this particular parable, Jesus is challenging the way that we see love and forgiveness, acceptance, and our identity as sons and daughters of a heavenly father. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Y'all ready to go? Y'all ready to go? Here we go. Verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Everyone say two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, when we read this, it doesn't sound like all that big of a deal. Like it might be like, man, that's kind of weird that he asked for his inheritance early, but maybe he just wants to get his early, right? And we've all heard that, like you need to get yours. You need to take care of you and yours, and this is what he's doing, so is it not that big a deal? But you have to understand that what the son did to his father in this very little short sentence is actually a big deal. This is essentially saying, hey, dad, I kind of wish you were dead. I'd rather you be dead because I actually want my inheritance now. In this ancient culture, asking for your inheritance before your parents passed away is essentially saying, your money is worth more to me than your relationship. This is what the son is saying to the father. This is like, literally, if you imagine in a culture, if you want to be disowned as a son, ask for your inheritance early. In fact, you would be thrown out of the family. It would create that scenario we see sometimes in movies when it's like, oh, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. So the son no longer is a son. The father is no longer a father to that man. They are broken at this point. And this is what happens. He's like, listen, your money is worth more to me than our relationship, worth more to me than your presence. And it's important for us to know that in this parable, this isn't just a parable about a father and two sons. It makes it pretty clear that Jesus is actually talking about a relationship between the heavenly father and his children. And so if you think about it in that context, this would be like This would be like one of us saying to God, God, your blessings are worth more to me than any time that I have with you. I just want your blessings. God, can you hurry up and answer my prayer? Because I need you to give me what I want. I'm not really interested in talking about being a son or a daughter. I'm more interested in, Father, you giving me what I need you making me feel good about my life. God, I need you to show up when I ask you to. You know, there's something interesting about life with God. I think oftentimes we are very concerned with how God is doing at his job. <laughs> we really think about that. Like, ah, you know, God's not, he's not been showing up for me lately. This parable, though, is about being a son and a daughter of the Most High King. It's about learning how to find our identity as a child of our Heavenly Father. Are you all with me today? Verse 13. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. So all that inheritance, he got it together, put it in a big old knapsack, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, everyone say spent everything. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, this story has been widely known as the the parable of the prodigal son, right? We've heard that before, probably, if you've been in church. And the word prodigal means recklessly extravagant. It actually means to spend everything. And so here you have, this is what the son actually does, right? He, he was reckless. He went prodigal, so to speak. And he spent his entire inheritance on wild living. So this young proddy, that's what we'll call him today. <laughs> young proddy parties to the point of having nothing left. So he's hungry and he's desperate And he longs to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, you ever had that moment? When you're doing something stupid and you finally come to your senses? Yeah, he comes to his senses. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I will set out, go back to my father, say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So he has a thought, right? He has a thought. He decides that he will go back home, tell his father he doesn't deserve to be a son. Because you remember, he's disowned his family, right? He's not a son. He's like, listen, just make me one of your servants. Welcome me back into the village, so to speak, just as one of your servants. That's all I need. This is what he's going back for. It's a desperate, desperate Hail Mary attempt here. How many of you know, though, that a, that a parent sees their child differently than anybody else sees that child? <laughs> for example, no matter how ugly your kid is, <laughs> when it's your kid... It's the cutest kid you've ever seen. No matter how ugly. <clears throat> it's biblical. I, uh, last week, last Saturday, Grayson had his last basketball game of the season. I told you a few weeks ago about how our season was going. I'm the coach. I take responsibility for all of our struggles and our uh, no, no wins that we've had this season. And... Anyway, last, last game came up, and uh, <clears throat> well, I just, I'm just happy to tell you that we came away with the final season, end of the season, W. We got the win. We won six to four. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we were playing another team that had not won either. And so that gym was lit. The parents were going nuts. Everybody thought, this is our chance. I mean, it was crazy. It was so intense. Adrenaline was like flowing through my body. When, we, when the final buzzer rang, I'm not joking. I literally did a jump and a fist pump like we just won the Super Bowl. 
But I'm telling you, it kind of felt that way. I mean, it was too, we hadn't won. How many of you guys know that winning is better than losing? And so I was like, yes. And what did I do right when the game got over? What did I do? See, a father, I was happy for our team. I was happy for everybody on the team. But as a father, I was looking for my son. I was looking for Grayson because I wanted to give him a big high five and I wanted to celebrate with my son. And that's what a father does, right? The father, I mean, as a coach, I cared about my team, but as a father, I was looking for my son. That's what I love about this next verse. Luke 15, 20, but he was still a long ways off. The father saw him. Everyone say saw him. He was looking for him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I know that you've heard this story before. It's not surprising. But I love this line. The father ran to his son. We sing the song, Run to the Father, which we're going to sing at the end of today. And it's a really great song because we want to be filled with this picture and this desire of having so much love and devotion for the father that we're going to run after him. But how many of you are thankful that God ran after you? How many of you are thankful that God ran after you? Like he, he ran first. Do you get that? Everyone say he ran first. He ran first and he ran to you because Jesus is making no bones about it. This is about the heavenly father and us as his children. And here he is, the father sees his child. Those who were listening, they would, have, they would have been like, man, this is a crazy story. Because they already know that this, this, no father in their right mind would do this. It would never happen in that culture. And so they're already rolling their eyes thinking, I don't think this is true because this is a difficult teaching, believe it or not. Because it shatters the paradigms of love and forgiveness, fatherhood, and being a child. So the, it says this in verse 21, that, that, the, that the son falls to his, to his feet. This, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, father sa- but, but the father said to his servants, quick, quick. Everyone say quick. quick. I mean, he was like, quick, on, like right now, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, Bring him the fattened calf. You know the big one, the fat one out there in the back of the... Get that one. I want you to bring it in here and let's kill it, right? Let's have a feast and celebrate. Everyone say celebrate. Celebrate. The father sees his child and wants to celebrate with him. The father sees his child. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. How many of you know that things that are lost, it's really good when they're found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. And when he came home near the house, he heard music and dancing. We'll get to the son in a moment, the older son. There's There's a famous painting by Rembrandt called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And really this moment when the father comes out and meets the son, it can't be overstated, the significance of it. Now, Rembrandt, he titled this painting, The Return of the, of, of, of the Son. And so there's an emphasis on the son. And of course, Bible translators over the years have titled this parable, The, the Return of the Prodigal Son. There's, so there's an emphasis on the son, but this story isn't really about the son, is it? 
This story is about the father. In fact, what I love about this painting that Rembrandt does is, is really in the painting, the, the focus and the emphasis is on the father, and rightly so. So when you really are looking at it, the thing that is highlighted the most, the thing that is most central to this piece of art is this father. This father dismisses the idea of his son returning as a servant, and he immediately ordered for a feast to be made. He responds with acceptance, love, forgiveness, celebration, restoration, and he does it immediately, which is so important to catch. He says, quick, go right now, restore my son, get new clothes, put together a feast. We need to celebrate now. We need an immediate party right now. The son, one minute, is, is covered in his sin and his shame, and the next minute, he is partying and dancing. Do you understand the significance of this? One minute he is pleading, the next minute he is partying. That's how beautiful this is. This is, this is not what you do when, a, when someone does what this prodigal did, right? But yet the prodigy is out there dancing on the dance floor. And it doesn't make any sense. Because what do you do typically? Typically when someone does what he did, you go, hey, I want you to come right over here. I want you to sit down. Stay there. I don't want you to think about what you did. Think about it. Think about how you wasted my money. You sit there and you watch me dance. You watch us eat the fattened calf and you learn your lesson. That's what we do, right? Because if someone, does, if someone in our life, if we're thinking about they've wronged us and we're thinking about giving them love, they have to at least pay some form of retribution. But the father responds immediately with relationship, not retribution. Immediately with unconditional love. It's like the father shrugs and says, what am I supposed to do? He's my kid. This moment once again reminds me, it reminds us of how God, what he did once, he can do again. You see, this kid had already been clothed once. He had already been honored as a son once. He had even already received his full inheritance once. I wonder, I wonder if he felt like he had missed his opportunity, like he had blown it. Anybody, anybody ever felt that before? Like, I've blown it. I've messed up. There's no way I'm getting a do-over. But when the son returns, what does the father do? He says, go get him a robe. Go put a ring on his finger. Go put sandals on his feet. I want you to think about it, that the father clothes the son not once but twice. He has enough to give him his, give him his inheritance again. You see, God is the God. Once again, I'm going to say it. God is the God of do it again. You see, we need to be reminded that God is so good that he'll give you a redo, a do-over, and a do-it-again moment that you haven't lost it. He'll clothe you again, even if you've wandered a long ways away. God wants us to know that he's the God of the second chance. He's the God of the third, fourth, and fifth chance. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again, but God has healed once, he'll heal again. God has forgiven once, he'll forgive again. God has, God has embraced you once, he'll embrace you again. God has provided before and he'll provide again. God is the God of do it again. 
The Father is saying that I am with you no matter what, no matter what happens. He says to all of us, I'm the Father of no matter what. Some of you need to hear that today because I know that some of you have had something happen in your life that you're like, but I'm not sure about this. And I want you to hear that the Father says, I am always with you no matter what. You're never too far gone. You're never too messed up. You're never too sick. You're never too alone. He says, no, no, no. I'm always with you no matter what. So at that point of the parable, we have this second son. He enters the story, verse 25. I read this part, but let me read it again. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the subs hidden and the dance floor hopping. <laughs> he heard the music and dancing. So this son is affectionately known as the older brother. Any oldest siblings in the room? Raise your hand, oldest siblings. <laughs> I'm a youngest sibling. And on behalf of all the youngest siblings in the world, I want to apologize for being our parents' favorite. <laughs> That's true in every family, but mine. I love all my kids the same. <laughs> so he called his servants and asked him, why are you playing the Cupid Shuffle? No, he says, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you playing music? What is going on? And the servant says, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. You know the calf, the one in the back that was really fat? We got that one. Because he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the older brother's hot, right? He's angry. Can you imagine looking in the barn and seeing your brother who had done what he had done in their dancing, you're sitting there thinking, and what is he doing with my dad's robe on? Like, what is going on? You would be mad, and rightfully so. Because everything that your brother had done was all sorts of wrong. And then on, not on, he's not only mad at the brother, he's mad at the father, isn't he? He's mad at the father for throwing a party for this wayward, prodigal brother of his. I wonder if you can relate. I wonder if anyone can relate to that. Anyone have, we don't have to, we don't have to talk about your brother and your sister right now. But anyone have someone who seems to get something they don't deserve in your life? And you're always sitting there thinking, why don't I get what I deserve? I'm the one trying to do the right thing. I'm the one that continues to show up. God seems to bless them when they don't deserve it. And so what does the older son does? He, he does? The party's happening over there. He's like, he's like, he walks over here, and he's like, hmm. He gives him the silent treatment. He's like, I ain't going in. I'm just going to stay out here and let them know that I disapprove. Anybody ever given the silent treatment as if it's the most powerful force in the world? <laughs> You're like, if I don't talk, the world will move for me. This is what the older brother does. And the father does come out. Listen to this. The father comes out of the house to get him, verse 28. So the father went out and pleaded with him. The father is pleading with the son. It's kind of like when the father ran to the son. And the son answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I want you to catch that. He says, I've been slaving for you. 
I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he didn't call him his brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. You know the one. They talk a lot about the fattened calf in this story, don't they? That was a really prized calf. It's the third mention. I just wanted to make sure you caught that. I bet it was good. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think the older brother has a point. Anybody relate with the older brother? I tend to agree with the older brother, but that's when I realized, man, I must not understand the father's love all that well. He says, Father, I have slaved for you all these years, and you've never thrown me a party like that before. Now, once again, I just keep making sure we catch this. Jesus makes no mystery about this. The story of the Father represents our Heavenly Father. And I wonder if anyone ever thinks, God, I'm trying here. God, what are you going to help me out here? God, I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm praying. I'm, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Yet I don't feel like you're giving me what I want. Yet I continue to see you do things for other people. I don't get it. What's going on, God? I wonder if anybody has ever felt that before. And here's what I know. I know that consistency rarely gets celebrated. You show up every day, you do the right thing. People eventually quit congratulating you for showing up and doing the right thing. If you want to know if you're really good at your job, people stop celebrating you every time you do something good. But it's the people that continually do a terrible job, and then all of a sudden they show up and do something good that everybody's like, man, great job. <laughs> consistency rarely gets celebrated. But consistency does do one thing that's really good. It grants you access anytime you want it because the most consistent are the most trusted. The consistent ones are the ones that are given the keys to the building. You know, I give, personally, I give more passage into my life and more access into my life to the people who are most consistent in my life. So check this out. This is what the father says to this older son. Verse 31, he said, my son, the father said, you are always with me. You're consistent. And everything I have is yours. I've given you passage and access to it all. You get to enjoy everything all the time. The goats, the fattened calves, the robes, they're all yours. I've not denied you anything. I've given it all to you. This is what he's saying to the son. He's like, I want you to enjoy it. Stop slaving like a servant and start delighting like a son. I wonder who in here needs to stop slaving. Get rid of this mindset that we just are supposed to continually do more for God in order for him to love us. And we need to start being a child of the Most High King. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because your, this brother of yours, he was dead. He was lost, but he needed to be found. And he is alive again. And the story ends there. That's where the story ends. And you're like, well, what happened? 
Did they go in and dance together? I mean, how did they do medium rare, medium, well done? How'd they do the fat and cap? Like what? I want to know more to the story. We don't know. We don't know if the, if the son stayed outside, if the, him and the brother hated each other for the rest of their life. We don't know if, all we know is this. We know the perspective of the father's love. We don't know anything about the sons. We don't know if he went prodigal again. We don't know. But we do know about the father. What we gain from this story is the perspective of the father's love. The story about his love for both of his sons. You see, you've got to remember this audience that Jesus was speaking to. He had all sorts of people in that crowd that would be considered prodigals. They were, they were sinful people that had lived far away from God, had ran away from God, whatever. So they might be considered prodigals. And then you also had a lot of people who were very religious. You know, the Pharisees were sitting there listening to him, and they might be like more like the older brother who had felt like they had always been slaving for God. And here he is telling both of those people, hey, God loves you, and he's with you. And he's never going to leave you no matter what. Start acting like a son and not a slave. He's saying this to both of them, right? He's like, quick, let's start celebrating. I see you and I love you anyway. He told the other brother, everything I have is yours. You know, I think we tend to think that God loves us more when we love him more. But God loves us fully regardless of how we're doing at loving him. That doesn't mean we shouldn't love him as best we can. doesn't mean we shouldn't grow in our love for him, but it doesn't really change how God loves us. And I think sometimes it's so, it seems so simple, but I, here, here's what I want to do. I want, to, I want you to do something with me. I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to think about something. Everyone close your eyes. Everyone, 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 including you. I want you to imagine God thinking about you. I do this every few years because I think it's so powerful. I want you to imagine God thinking about you. And I want you to try to assume what God thinks about when he thinks about you. Now I've already set you up, so who knows, you might be thinking the right things, but a lot of times when people think about how God thinks about them, they, they assume that God is thinking about their sin. They assume that God is disappointed in where they are. They assume that God is maybe angry with them. People are largely convinced that their sin is what catches the attention of God. So when we mess up, God is like, oh, there you go again. But I want you to know that our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father loves us with a kind of love that runs to us to embrace us. Our Heavenly Father loves us with the kind of love that says, I want you to be free of this slaving and I want you to delight in being my child. I want you to be my son, my daughter. You see, what, what God thinks about when he thinks about you, it's like when a parent looks at their child. Nothing can change how that parent sees their child. Now, I know I'm talking in, in, in terms that aren't always concrete, but, but I believe 
wholeheartedly that the unconditional love of the Father, when he thinks about us, that's what he thinks about, is how much he loves you. You can open your eyes. Being a child of the Most High King, being a child of our Heavenly Father is about receiving his love. It's never about earning it. And that is one of the narrative themes of Jesus's way of life. He is constantly teaching that you need to receive the love of the Father. You'll never earn it. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never do enough to, to, to do the works to achieve it. You'll always have to rely on the embrace of the Father as a way of understanding that we have to receive his love. So today I want you to be encouraged. One, one, son, one son was set free of his shame and the other son was set free of his slaving. God's love for you is astounding. It's outrageous. It's unconditional. I love what author Tim Keller read this years ago and it's always stuck with me. Author Tim Keller suggests that the story of the prodigal son needs to be titled the, the parable or the story of the prodigal God. Remember, prodigal means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. God's love has spent everything on us. We have a God who loves us with an ex, a, a reckless extravagance. You know, one of our values as a church is extravagant love. We long to become children, and I hope you do, I hope we all do, that we long to become children who grow our love for God in such a way that it could be described as extravagant, that it's reckless, that it's, that it's prodigal, that it spends everything. But we have to know this in order to be able to love like that. We have to know that it was God who ran first that it was God who loved first. It was God who went first. He's the one who spent everything on you. I want you to be encouraged today. Whether you need to be set free of shame, set free of slaving, maybe you just need to be set free today and find Jesus and allow Allow our Heavenly Father to put His arms around you and embrace you. So let's pray together. I just want to allow this time to be a time of you just receiving the Father's love today. I hope that, I hope that the encouragement of the love of the Father never grows tired to you. And it's almost like reopening the gift every time. The gift of the Father's love. If you need the love of the Heavenly Father today, maybe you've not felt loved lately, maybe you felt alone or maybe you felt pain and you just need the loving arms of the Father today, I wanna to encourage you, this time is for you. We have an altar that you can come and you can just connect with him, you can just pray, you can pray with a prayer team person, you can pray on your own, but this parable begins Everybody's heads bowed. Just listen to this. This parable begins with Jesus wanting all who are lost to be found. He wants all to be saved, all to be restored to the loving relationship with God. And I just think 
Everybody knows, but I want you to be reminded that God loves you more than you'll ever know. God loves you so much. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. You can't say it enough, but God loves you. If today you want to receive that love, we always have an invitation here. It's an invitation to receive, to receive the love of God, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. The scripture is called a moment of salvation. Uh, entering into an eternity with God. If, if you have questions about that, we want to talk to you. Our prayer team is here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to just, all you have to say is say, I want to know what it means to have a relationship with the Father. If you say that to one of our prayer team people, they will lead you in a moment of prayer where you can surrender your life to Jesus. You can fully receive the love of God. Quit trying to earn it and simply receive it. There are times in life that we do need to run to the Father. So grateful that he ran to us, but there are times in life when we need to run to the Father. The son went back, didn't he? He went to the Father. The Father saw him, ran to him. Today, you need to come to the Father. I want to encourage you to do it. Father, we give you this time. We want to worship you. We want to respond to you. We want to receive your love today. We want to fall into your arms. I want to pray for anybody in here that needs that, needs that salvation gift from you, that needs to just open their heart to you? Would they, would they have the courage to come forward and just talk to someone on our prayer team today? Lord, we, wanna, we want all in this room, anyone who feels lost, to be found in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? This altar's open. Our prayer team is here. Let's sing. Let's sing to our Heavenly Father. hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.